everybody, and thanks for joining me today. Malcolm Teasdale here, also known as The Travel Addict. You know, sometimes I say that the other way around. It's the same person, believe me. Anyway, thanks for joining me today. Glad that you could be here. Well, today's subject is about a trip or journey to the country of Myanmar. Remember Myanmar? It used to be called Burma at one time. This is about traveling to its capital city, Yangon. Now, I went there twice, believe it or not. More about that in a little bit once I get into the guts of the story. These two incidences are documented in one of my books called The Midlife Crisis Continues. There's two chapters in there, and I won't give you the titles of them yet. I'll tell you more about that later on, actually. They're sort of quirky. Anyway, yes, Myanmar. And when I first mentioned that I was going to this country, many people said, why on earth do you want to go there? It has a history of turmoil and it's an element of danger there. Why, in fact, do you want to go to such a place? Well, both of those statements are true. However, it had quietened down in recent years and there was a new government and uh, it wasn't under like martial law or anything like that. So I decided to take the trip. Well, the first step was to get a visa, of course. Uh, so I did that. And I did it towards the time I was going to be leaving mainland USA. The visa arrived. I wasn't traveling for about two, three weeks after the visa came back. But one thing I had to document was my flights in and out of the country. In addition, I had to give proof of the hotel I was going to be staying at, which was the Clover Hotel in the city center, sort of just around the corner from the best hotel in town, which was the Shangri-La. My flight landed at about 8 p.m. I took Singapore Airlines flight from Singapore, of course. Flight wasn't that long, but anyway, we landed at about 8 p.m. So I was one of the first off the plane because I was sitting towards the front. I wanted to just get through immigration, get my luggage, and get to the hotel as quick as possible. So anyway, I made it to immigration, and the person behind the booth just waved me forward a lady in military uniform, had it over my passport, and she started shaking her head. In a broken English, she basically said, you can't come in here, your visa has expired. Well, I was pretty shocked at that time. So I got into a sort of not a heated discussion, insomuch that a military officer came by and took part of the conversation as well, and a translator. What had happened is that when they issued my visa, it did have an expiry time on it. Now, I didn't know this, and this wasn't even suggested during the application process. They wouldn't let me in, basically. Anyway, I got taken to another room somewhere, a conversation room. The translator explained to me that we're not going to let you in. You have to find a way out of here tonight. So I was very disappointed, suffice to say, and I was sort of blaming the visa process office I can't remember whereabouts in the United States it was. Someone somewhere had made a mistake. Arguing any more was futile. I had to find a way out of there, basically, because I didn't want to be spending the night locked in a room at Yangon Airport in Myanmar. Anyway, the translator went off for a while, came back and said, well, we do have a flight going to Bangkok. It leaves in a couple of hours. Meanwhile, I couldn't go anywhere. I had to stay in this one room until I was called by an immigration officer 
to move forward. And that's exactly what happened. So that time expired. It was about 10 o'clock in the evening, getting on towards 10.30, I think. The last flight out of town was one to Bangkok. I was escorted to security. Obviously, I didn't have to go by immigration because I never officially got into Myanmar. So I went to security. I was also assured that my luggage was, in fact, put on the flight. Okay, So I would be reunited with it once I got to country Thailand. And that's exactly what happened. So I, I, I landed in Bangkok, went through immigration, no problem there. Uh, caught a taxi to my hotel, which I booked while I was in that waiting room in Myanmar, and uh, checked in probably about one o'clock in the morning, if I think back correctly. And uh, then I went out on the town and grabbed a couple of beers at one of the local British pubs there. And that was the end of my trip to Myanmar on my first attempt now, in my book, The Midlife Crisis Continues, there's a chapter about this particular incident. It's actually called Two Hours in Myanmar. It's basically it. It's a short story, a bit more detail in it, if you care to read it. It's there. However, I was just glad to be out of Myanmar at the time in sort of the safer place of Bangkok, Thailand, if you wish. On to part two. The whole visa application process changed by the time I went back about a year or so later on. All I had to do was fill in a form and take a couple of photographs with me, and the process was called visa on arrival. Many countries do that now. Cambodia does it, for example. It should be an easy process. Well, at least that's what I thought anyway. So I was on my way again. A second attempt to enter Myanmar, a country where historically most people wanted to leave if given a choice. However, I just wanted to enter, which obviously was problematic. So the second attempt was going to happen. I started to plan my flight. It was going to leave from Atlanta initially, so I was going to fly into Seoul, Korea, which is about a 15-hour flight. The problem was my connecting flight from Seoul, Korea, after an hour layover, would have got me into Yangon about midnight, which means there was no flight leaving to go anywhere at that time, meaning that if for some reason I was refused entry, there was nowhere to go except some holding room at the airport or even a jail cell, which obviously did not sound appealing. Another reason was the travel time with very little rest, jet lag would have been a factor. So instead, I just uh, took the connecting flight from Seoul down to Bangkok, Took a couple of rest days there, and the flight actually arrived at 1 a.m. in the morning in Bangkok. I rested there two days before getting a Thai Airways flight to Yangon, and I arrived at a decent time in the middle of the day. On arrival, I stood in line at the immigration office. The person in front of me approached the officer, and he actually had problems. Again, he was taken aside, so I thought, here we go again. Anyway... I approached the agent with my passport and approval letter, and it was okay. They let me in. I was almost surprised. I almost said, are you sure? <laughs> that was pretty much it. I was expecting the uh, immigration officers to say, have you been here before? But that never happened also. My passport was officially stamped, and I was reunited with my luggage. Hooray, I was officially in the country of Myanmar, fantastic achievement based on what I went through before. Anyway, in the rivals hall, I wanted to change some money into the Myanmar currency, which is CHAT. That's how it's pronounced, but it's spelled K-Y-A-T. 
the three money-changing booths were all closed. For what reason? I just don't know. I have no idea. I would have thought at least one of them would have been open based on the fact that international flight has just arrived. I was approached by a taxi driver who wanted to give me a lift. And I said to him, I said, look, all I'm trying to do is find an ATM machine. And he said, come with me. I thought, uh-oh, here we go. But he guided me to an ATM. It was just outside the terminal door, and it did work. Now, the exchange rate was easy to remember over there. It's 1,000 chap for one U.S. dollar. But I attempted to get the U.S. equivalent of about $200. It failed. I tried 100 and it failed. The third attempt, $50, it worked but I had no idea if I had enough cash for the taxi fare. So I had to ask this gentleman how much is a taxi fare to go to the Clover Hotel, and he told me, and I, lo and behold, I did have enough cash. Historically, I do not take any notice of what taxi drivers say to me in the arrivals hall at an airport in a foreign country. I'm wary of taxi drivers anyway, but in a place like Myanmar, it was sort of dubious. But what I did, I ended up trusting this gentleman to give me a lift to the Clover Hotel. It was just fine. He had had all my luggage uh, in the correct manner, um, and we were off to the hotel. In about 30 minutes, 35 minutes, we pulled up outside the Clover Hotel in downtown Yangon. As you may know, Myanmar was previously called Burma. And Yangon's former name was Rangoon. The new name of Yangon is defined as end of strife, which is sort of fitting considering the country's history of turmoil. When I checked into the hotel, it came back to me that this was the hotel I booked to stay in before when I could not get into the country. And I lost the money on that reservation because I was classed as a no-show. I thought about when I check in this time to ask for my money back, but that probably wouldn't have gone down too well. Anyway, I checked in. My room was quite basic, even though I had something classed as a superior room, which is one step above their deluxe rooms. So I can imagine what the deluxe room would be like, being more basic than the one I had. Anyway, it was just fine. I didn't intend to spend much time in the room because I was going to be out touring around. Surprisingly enough, Hotels in Yangon are quite expensive. Now, I had a basic hotel, but it's still well over $100 a night. I was staying close to the best hotel in town called the Shangri-La. I planned this in advance so I could enjoy their bars and restaurants if I needed to. So it wasn't a problem. To be honest with you, I was sort of in a nice, cute hotel with a little bit of ambience and the friendly staff. It was just fine. Five o'clock arrived. So I had to find happy hour somewhere if in fact it did exist. I took the short walk over to the gallery bar at the luxurious Shangri-La Hotel. I felt like I was in a classic British pub, actually. I had solid mahogany bar, leather couches, and high-quality tables and chairs. The walls were covered in old photographs depicting the history of Myanmar, including the time it was under British rule. There was a sign on the bar who said, buy one beer, get the next one free. So it was, in fact, happy hour. Four dollars gave me a litre bottle of Myanmar ale, which was very good, but unnoticeably strong. After I drank that and my free one, I was feeling no pain. It was time to go back to my hotel and get a good night's sleep because I had a long day ahead. In the morning, I picked up a street map from the reception to plan my route to Shwedagan Pagoda. It's sort of hot and humid that day, so I made sure I dressed accordingly, lightweight shorts, T-shirt, 
and tennis shoes. On the way there, I stopped at the Holy Trinity Cathedral. Apart from looking somewhat British colonial-like, it has the historic ties with the military from the time when it was occupied by the British Empire. It's also the primary Anglican cathedral in Myanmar. The day I visited, the doors were locked. I even tried banging on the door, but no one came, unfortunately, so couldn't go in that place. In the distance, I saw the Shwedagon Pagoda as I walked the main road to the city's most treacherous tourist site. The sidewalks there were in disrepair and were dangerous. There were large gaps, actually, um, large gaping holes, to be precise, where there should have been a slab of concrete. Now, this hole was like the size of a coffin. So if you weren't looking, you'd fall into one of these things and no one would notice. It would be like burying yourself alive. The depth of the hole was more than four feet, very dark, partially full of garbage. So we had to be cognizant of that. Now, as we approached the pagoda, crossing the road to it was challenging as it was extremely busy. It was like a traffic circle. Plus, there was no traffic light signals or pedestrian crossings there. You'd basically just have to throw caution to the wind and hope the motorists know you're crossing the road. Right at the entrance, you are requested to hand over your shoes, as is normal in many sacred places around the world. There was a small entrance fee, which I expected, of course. But as I was wearing shorts, and I should have known better here, I had to buy a cover-up. The girls at the cash register helped dress me up then took my photo. They were giggling all the time. You may remember a gentleman called Somerset Maugham. He famously quipped the following during his stay in Rangoon when he was there in the 1920s. The Shodagon rose superb, glistening with its gold like a sudden hope in the dark night of the soul of which the mystics write, glistening against the fog and smoke of the thriving city. Now, part of that statement I've used as a chapter in my book called midlife crisis continues and it's all about my visit to Yangon. The phrase, like a sudden hope in the dark night of the soul, it seems something quite appropriate for the place in which I found myself. The pagoda, at 2,600 years in age, is the oldest of its kind in the world. The structure is absolutely priceless. The main gold-plated dome is topped by a stupa that contains over 7,000 diamonds, rubies, topaz and sapphires, and the whole giddy concoction is offset by a massive emerald positioned at the top to reflect the last rays of the setting sun. It is an awesome sight. Everywhere I looked, there was gold. People prayed and they meditated. Some even attended a class. The monks chatted to followers, likely explaining what every statue and ornament represented. I even saw two monks playing with their iPhones. So it sort of begged the question, I wonder what apps they had actually downloaded. Now, Myanmar is not a rich country in monetary terms, but it's very rich in architecture and culture. Just walking around the place, I knew it was somewhere that was very special and important to the people of Myanmar. In total, I spent about two hours absorbing the atmosphere and looking in all, all the architecture. It's quite unbelievable, really. It was time to leave. And as I was walking down the steps away from the pagoda, my cover-up started to come off. And a couple of the girls there started to giggle and point at me. What I did, I just gave them a smile of acknowledgement, which always goes down well when a person's in a foreign country. 
Tourism, though, is on the increase in Myanmar, but it is far from overrun with them. Although I am classed as a tourist, I really don't like tourists. <laughs> I prefer to be by my own or have the whole place to myself. That, of course, is rather selfish. Anyway, for the moment, uh, Myanmar is really not overcrowded with uh, tourism, and that's probably a good thing. On the way back to my hotel, I noticed a trend at a few of the houses along the street. There were three guard dogs, but they're outside on the street surveying the landscape there. There was a small dog-sized passageway that led back onto the property, but it was like they were guarding the street outside of the grounds of the house as well. I saw about four or five properties that had the same, what I would call, alarm system, so to speak. So as I walked past the dogs, they gave me the evil eye, sort of, but they didn't snarl or bark. They only just kept looking around at the area, and they strayed not too far away from the sidewalk or to the border where it met the homeowner's property line. Really quite strange. The Park Royal Hotel is another high-end property in Yangon. Reviews on TripAdvisor suggested that the Spice Restaurant was very good. They offered a buffet and al carte menu, but having the word spice in the name closed the deal for me. The nasi goreng was excellent. It was supposedly the national dish of Indonesia, and there's a reason why. It's stuffed with shallots, chilies, spring onions, nutmeg, regular onions, ginger and garlic, with a fried egg on top. Sort of delicious. Brings alive the taste buds. Now, after I ate that, I went downstairs where there was what I call, I think, a nightclub, which offers live music and a disco in sort of a modern environment. There wasn't many people in there when I arrived, which was about 10 o'clock. So this was going to be my nightcap. So I just sat at the bar and ordered a Myanmar ale. And then a band came on. And uh, not surprisingly, they're from the Philippines, which is normal around Asia and other parts of the world. Anyway, Philippines are very underrated musicians. So you go to a bar or a hotel in Asia somewhere, it's likely that these people are from the Philippines. Anyway, that was the case here. As I said, there wasn't many people in this club. And the band came on stage and they played a famous song by heart. It was called Alone. And they were pointing at me because I was alone at the bar and there wasn't many people in the club. And it stuck with me after that. So, so it became one of my favorite songs. Anyway, I was minding my own business, sipping my beer. Now, a group of girls started to tease me. I don't know why. A couple of them walked past me and poked me in the ribs, then ran off giggling, almost childlike. Another one got my attention by waving and pointing to a friend, then me, as if to suggest we should get together. One girl walked up to me and stuck her head in front of mine and said hi, then walked off. I guess they were flirting, but anyway, but they were shy. Uh, no one actually came and sat next to me and started a conversation. But the bar never really filled up. Then the band left stage for a break. I decided to return to my hotel. I was a bit tired from the day's escapade, so to speak. A couple of the girls who noticed me leaving waved and frowned in a makeshift way. Very, very cute. Anyway, on the way back, I passed a monk who was taking a pee from the bridge onto the rail track below. Even they have the urge to sometimes go in inconvenient places. That made me smile. I nearly said something, but <laughs> I just couldn't bring myself to doing so. At breakfast the next morning, I sat next to a Japanese man. 
he was probably in his 70s. It was the first time in me and Mark for him also. He was a businessman in his working days, but he now travels for pleasure. He told me he had been to 120 countries. For some reason, he had to tell me his scariest experience. I don't know why, which was when he was visiting Palestine during a time of conflict there. Well, that's quite an achievement, although, um, I mean, visiting 120 countries, that is, although he may be guilty of traveling to countries for the sake of doing so rather than for enjoyment. Some people may think I'm guilty of the same thing, but I'm not sure about that. I do it for enjoyment, and I like to learn a lot about the place I visit. I took a taxi to Botatuang Pagoda, which is near the Yangon River, only about 100 yards away, actually. The Yangon River itself is not very clean. It's very, very brown. You won't want to go swimming in it, that's for sure. Anyway, at the pagoda, there was a small entrance fee, not a problem, but I had to remove both my shoes and socks. This triggered an idea in my head where I'm going to have to do some research one day on why some religious places request that socks are removed while others don't. Sort of strange. The main attraction in the stupa is it's sort of hollow inside. It's a mirrored maze-like walkway, but against the walls are glass showcases containing ancient relics and artifacts. In the places where there were no showcases, the walls plus the 10-foot high ceilings were completely covered in gold. In a couple of the tight corners of the building were monks sitting cross-legged. Both of these monks had a small box on the floor next to them looking for donations. I put some chat in their boxes. Remember, that's the uh, Myanmar currency, by the way. Knowing that although Buddhists are not materialistic people, they do need to eat. Many of them are just dirt poor. There is a colourful statue of Rohani Boboji, who is the guardian spirit of the pagoda, whose responsibility is to keep watch over everything and act as a virtual security. The Gautama Buddha is the supreme Buddha on whose teaching Buddhism was founded. He is the main man, so to speak. Such is his influence that the Otatwang Pagoda houses what is to believe to be a sacred hairpiece from the great man himself. Many years ago, the British Royal Air Force completely destroyed the pagoda during World War II, but it was rebuilt afterwards. Now, I didn't ask anyone the obvious question at the time, but I wonder what happened to the sacred hair. Maybe it survived. I was looking at the original. My feet were filthy from walking around without socks. There was no place to hose them down, but the Yangon River was only a five-minute walk. Uh, Maybe I could... No, I decided not to dip my feet in that water. Anyway, the river is crucial to the economy of the country and can support large vessels and tankers. A Yangon river cruise did not seem attractive based on the colour of the water. And uh, from where I was standing on the end of a rickety old pier, it just didn't seem to be much in my vision range worth seeing anyway from a tourist standpoint. As I said, from dry land, it is just very, very muddy. Visibility was virtually zero. There was a few stalls nearby, which consisted of inedible street food, in my opinion, the type no tourist should even consider eating. It was time to go back to my hotel, and getting the attention of the taxi was sort of difficult. So I chased one down that was dropping some people off at the pagoda. Just in case he had never heard of my hotel, I asked for the Shangri-La instead, because it's a major hotel, the Clover Hotel. People may not know about that. The Shangri-La, I assumed, the taxi driver would know. 
He nodded in acknowledgement whether he understood me, and we were on. I opened up my street map to make sure we were headed in the right direction. The hotel was northwest from where we were staying, but he headed in an easterly direction. I ignored it at first, thinking that he was just going around a one-way street, but his direction of driving the wrong way from where I needed to go continued. I asked him where he was going and repeated my destination. He did not speak or understand English. Maybe I was premature in assuming that we were going the wrong way. Every junction, I was hoping he would turn left, but he didn't. Then he took a bridge across the Pazun Duang Creek, which is in fact a river and headed further east. When we reached the other side, I felt that we were outside of Yangon, so I signaled him to pull over, while at the same time thinking that if I walked away from the taxi this time, it would be very, very difficult finding another one to take me back to the city because the traffic had become more sparse. He stopped to the side of the road, and I leant over and started pointing at the map where I needed to go, and I even suggested a route to him by pointing at some streets. He basically understood my sign language, but not what I was saying. We figured it out. So he had his go at pointing and talking, but it was hopeless. Nevertheless, he threw his hands up in the air, turned around and headed back over the bridge. I felt better knowing that I could possibly buy another taxi if I had to ditch this one. Driver and passenger were just not getting along, and it went quiet for the next five minutes. Anyway, my eyes were glued to the map, and everything changed. He opened up his glove box and pulled out a DVD. He had a small TV screen in his taxi, but popped a music video of the Scorpions live in Athens. Pre-status, which just happens to be one of my favorite videos of all time. I gave him the thumbs up and sat back in my seat and enjoyed it. Well, there were lots of one-way streets. There was traffic congestion. There were roadworks. Anyway, we made it back to a place across the street from the Shangri-La Hotel. I gave him a large tip, and he was a happy camper, but probably decided to go home after that rather than pick up any more tourists for the day. Anyway, what an experience. That's why I don't trust taxi drivers in foreign lands. It was lunchtime, so I stopped in the Shangri-La for a sandwich and a beer just to calm myself down. The whole taxi thing sort of put me on edge. As in some Latin American countries and occasionally in rural areas of the Philippines, kidnapping people in taxis does in fact happen. Yangon is supposed to be quite safe by the way of crime, but you never know. There is always a first time it could have been me. Anyway, that afternoon... I walked past St. Mary's Cathedral, which is a Catholic church that looked very similar to the Holy Trinity Church from the day before. The builders used exactly the same type of bricks. It too was locked, but I did peer through the window and it just looked like a typical Catholic church. However, I'm not sure why I would expect anything too different from what I see in the USA or back in the UK. I walked to the area of the city where there were markets and Chinatown. Food stalls always fascinate me in foreign countries because I like trying to guess what they're selling and cooking. There was cooked food, some recognisable, some not, some that looked like it had been simmering in the midday heat for hours. Back home, the health inspectors would have had a field day with these practices of hygiene. Suffice to say, I wasn't hungry at all. Chinatown on 19th Street has various cooking stations set up at various places with most foods being deep fried in a wok, which no doubt would probably kill any lingering bacteria, and some stall owners will grill in meat over an open flame. Sugarcane was being crushed the old-fashioned way by cranking it through uh, two metal barrels. 
There were vegetables and spices that were being chopped up and bagged. There were concoctions of marinade to flavor anything one might eat, all on display. The street was bustling with life. It's a good atmosphere, actually, and after a long day, restaurants, however small or large they may be, offer seating outside to the hungry locals, and the booze flows freely to create sort of a fascinating and fun atmosphere. Throughout the day, the amount of litter on the streets piles up. Uh, A law forbidding people to do this seemed like it would be a good thing to fix the bad habits of people, but there sort of isn't one, appears. Maybe it's because there's nowhere to put it. I sure didn't see any bins on the street. After a long day, the waste paper and waste food is just piled up in different places, maybe on a street corner or outside a store. I think there must be some cleanup process, otherwise the city would just be totally engulfed in garbage within a few days. I saw several people just throwing litter on the ground without any regard for the environment. Stores are cooked and served food, rinse utensils and plates from water obtained from sources I didn't see, but likely there was probably a faucet somewhere nearby. That in itself would be harmful to us Westerners, I believe, especially if we drank it. It appears that street food is cooked around the clock. Even when I left for the airport at 4 a.m., there was someone grilling or deep-frying something on the street. In the evening, I dared to take a taxi to the Strand Hotel. This time, I arrived without conflict at this five-star hotel. Grand Hotel, actually. It oozes with British colonialism. It looked like a small version of the famous Raffles Hotel in Singapore, if you've ever seen it. It was built in the beginning of the last century and has kept its original look since then, albeit there's been a few restorations along the way. The Strand Bar was very elegant with like beautiful style furnishings and teak lined walls. I just sat at the bar where I drank a pint of a local beer and thought about all the conversations through good times and bad times that may have taken place over the last century in that place, of course. It was definitely the meeting place for the elites back in the old days, no doubt about that, which I'm sure there were very few of them. The barman gave me a plate of delicious snacks consisting of chips and nuts, which I devoured in no time at all. He then offered me another one, which I turned down. I looked at my map for the 50th Street Bar and found it close by. At the time, it seemed like a good idea to just walk, as my map showed it to be only two streets away, so how difficult could it be? I walked north, and I arrived at Merchant Road, and took a right, and cautiously crossed over, dodging between moving cars. I was at 40th Street, so logically, in 10 streets' time, I'd be at my destination. The further east I headed down Merchant Road, the fewer the streetlights and the more the road became unkempt. After a little detour, I finally found the restaurant, 50th Street Bar, and it was down a side street which was very difficult to see. There were only smattering of customers inside, but that didn't take away anything from the nice atmosphere. It seemed to be misplaced over a dark, dingy area of town where few people walked at night. Not that I felt threatened or worried about being attacked, but rather falling down in one of those big gaping potholes in the sidewalks, never to be seen again. It was really for the late night crowd, so what I did, I just decided to get a taxi back to the Shangri-La Hotel and enjoy their extravagant buffet. It was an all-you-could-eat thing. It was Indian, Chinese, Italian, Western, and Thai dishes. I favoured the Indian dishes, of course, but sampled a bit of each. 
I was probably a little guilty of eating too much, but the aim was to hold me over until I left the country. And it did, actually. At 4 a.m. in the morning, the alarm came in. I got up. The restaurant was closed, of course, but the only food available was, as I mentioned before, one or two street food stalls out on the street. But that wasn't going to happen. Anyway, got to Yangon Airport. It's sort of untidy and clean, by the way. There's no issue passing through immigration or security there. The latter did not really consist of much that would deter potential terrorists. Anyway, try not to worry about that. The airport bathroom situation, well, it was pretty bad, totally unhygienic, no soap, no towels, no toilet seats. That was enough for me to walk out immediately. I don't know why it is while countries with international airports fail to meet the basic hygiene standards, especially for inbound passengers. I'll never know. It's the first impression visitors get when they come to a country. So it should sort of be important, in my honest opinion. Anyway, Myanmar was a great trip. It's still sort of a third world country, but the potential is there to make it a well sought after destination without affecting in any way its heritage or culture. The more I think about it, Somerset Mourn's quote is apropos or appropriate, I should say, especially these words, like a sudden hope in the dark night of the soul. And with that thought, you can read about this story of mine in the book, Midlife Crisis Continues, and the title is Like a Sudden Hope in the Dark Night of the Soul. Of course it would be. Anyway, thanks for tuning in today. Really appreciate it. Check me out on the website, malcolmjteasdale.com. I'll be along sometime later on to give you another story of intrigue. Bye for now.